As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Thursday afternoon here out in Ashburn. Uh, we just spoke with offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy a few minutes ago. We'll head out to the field to check out practice in a bit. Um, and I've got in the inter- in well, not in the interim. It's not the interim for you guys. But what I've got here on the podcast, two fun interviews that I did uh, over the last 24 hours. First, caught up with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. We just sort of um, assessed kind of where things are right now. Didn't talk a ton about the Dolphins game, but a little bit about what to expect against a team that's got that track speed all over the place. Um, but also, like, you know, what we, what, what, what's the meaning of these last five games? Each of us have written a story on this topic uh, in recent days. So we kind of went through that and tried to provide a sober assessment of where this team is, where there's concerns heading into the year, and, may, and also something we're looking to see um, as a positive down the stretch. Uh, then from there, my guy Daniel Oyafuse from the Miami Herald, he covers the Miami Dolphins, former intern of the great sports capital, rest in peace. Um, he joined me as well, not so much to talk about the game, though obviously uh, it came up, you know, what, what the Dolphins are doing and where Washington should be concerned, but specifically because of their head coach, Mike McDaniel. Obviously, we believe Washington is likely to be in the market for a new head coach next year. And McDaniel represents, he's not only been successful, but he represents this new era of coaching. And it's an interesting look to consider, forget whether Washington should get an offensive-minded coach or a defensive-minded coach. What about tone? What about style? Um, if McDaniel is a new school, but but say a enemy or a Bill Belichick or whomever you want to point to as that older school coach, is, is there is can, can you be that older school kind of coach in today's NFL? Did the Josh McDaniel situation with the Raiders show us that, hey, that's not going to work? Or is the McDaniel situation just more about the individual rather than any kind of a trend? So that's what we discussed, uh, uh, and we'll get to that in a few minutes here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, I'm not exactly a Spotify guy myself, but I know some of you have been 
um, posting on social media, um, your lists of, I guess, what you've listened to the most over the course of the year. Some of you have had this podcast in your lists, and I really appreciate, obviously, the support uh, and, and you stating it uh, publicly like that. Um, I've also, I, I'll just note, that had, I, I mentioned a couple times, having a uh, off-the-record chat with some listeners. That happened on Tuesday. We went for a good long while. Uh, it was a real fun conversation. Had a lot of great questions asked of me, and I asked the group some things as well about what they think of the team, how we can improve the podcast, all these things. So hopefully, I, w- I would like to do this again down the line, and I'll let you know when that happens. But oh, in the in the interim, you can always email me at b oh, sorry at bstandig at theathletic.com or hit me up on X Twitter at Ben Standig. I also am at Ben Standig on Threads. Um, in terms of this week, you know, Emmanuel Forbes did not practice yesterday. Rivera said that his elbow injury was uh, significant. So does significant mean he's out this week? Does he is he at the season? I don't know if we know that quite yet. But obviously that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Sam and I discussed Forbes and what these last few games could mean for him. Um, you know, beyond that, obviously it's about Sam Howell and uh, and to, to a degree Eric Bieniemy. How do they look down the stretch, and what does that say about Washington's quarterback and coaching scenarios going forward? That will be certainly among the big topics to watch over these closing games. Uh, oh, and before I get to the interviews, actually, um, one quick thing. I will have a story up. I had a story up today on The Athletic, meaning Thursday, about Ron Rivera taking over play calling, but not what it means for these last five games. Looking back, what would it, what could it have meant if he had gotten more involved um, in this way sooner over his four, four years? And then on Friday, I'll have a story up about what's it like to care for a patient to try to keep that patient going when everybody else wants to pull the plug. This is not a medical story. This is FedEx Field. And I got the chance to talk to some of the people who are in charge of the day-to-day operations and making the experience as good as possible and putting on a good face and all that, knowing that everybody else is like, get rid of this place. So I was curious about what that's like to have those jobs. And I did talk to those people about it. And you can check that out in The Athletic on Friday. Um, but for now, let's get to uh, Daniel and Sam here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, joining us here on the podcast, very special guest. Uh, he has become the big go-to guy down on the Miami Dolphins beat writing for the Miami Herald. Uh, he is uh, a Maryland grad and it's, it's, it's not it's not top of his bio, but I'm going to I'm going to take pride in it. He was our former uh, intern when we when we had the sports capital back in the day, uh, Daniel Fusi. I always right that get your last name right. I should know this. You I got oh you Fusi oh you Fusi, but you got it. You got okay oh you Fusi got it. All right, well I haven't said it in a while. Uh, my guy, how uh, we're gonna see each other on Sunday, but I couldn't wait. Wanted to talk about a couple different things here with you. How uh, how how is it going? Uh, it's going great. It's going great. You know, every season has its twists and turns. It's crazy. You mentioned uh, the sports capital. That's where I got my start. You know, I'm forever indebted to um, all of you guys, um, you know, for giving me that opportunity. You know, five years later, you know, I'm my fifth year on a beat. So it's, uh, it's been an awesome start to the journey. No, you've, you've been on a rock star trajectory. You were at the Sun right after that. 
you know, yeah, you 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 bet. You know, uh, my guy Todd Dibus uh, was in charge of figuring out interns, and he didn't miss. He hit, all all were good. You 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 kicked it, and uh, you're doing a great job down there covering Miami. And um, you know, like not only are you you're doing a good job, like you made the right play. Somehow you ended up in Miami because we were just discussing. It is currently 23 degrees here in the the DMV. You're from here. And I don't know how you're going to react. Your body's going to convulse or whatever when you get up here. It's 75 down there. Uh, but 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 that's your permanent existence. Good for you. Very, very, very proud of that choice as well, however you made that work out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm already mentally preparing myself for the change. You know, I've lived in Baltimore all my life up until 2021. And now whenever I go up to the Northeast, I'm like, I don't know how people live up here in the winter. So uh, it'll, be a, it'll be definitely fun to get back home, come back home. Yeah, my... my uh, good friend of mine lives in the Orlando area. And whenever I tell her, Oh, you should move back up here. She's like, are you serious? I couldn't possibly move back up to, to Maryland again. I no, it's not possible, which I get you, you guys, you know, you move down South, you, you get to be a little bit wussy. I get it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a <laughs> smart play. Um, so obviously the Washington and Miami are playing each other this week. And in, in, in years past, I've had more, uh, conversation with people who are on the beat of the opposing team. I haven't had as much this year. I don't necessarily know why, other than probably per usual with this team, things have sort of gotten wacky. And the game, for me, sometimes the game itself doesn't really, I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Obviously it matters, but like the previewing of the game, it's like, let's just focus on Washington and not, but I did want to have you on for a variety of reasons. We've already mentioned the, the reunion here, but We'll talk about the game in a second. I'm fascinated, as I assume many people are, by the Mike McDaniel experience. And I want to get, I want to relate that to what's going to happen here soon with a coaching search. But I want to get your view. This guy seems completely the opposite of what you think of a football coach. Like, you know, Eric B, like Jack Del Rio, like obviously he's no longer with the commanders. That Jack Del Rio, football, you know, Eric B. Enemy's got that old school vibe. Ron Rivera largely does. As well, you're in a division uh, with Bill Belichick, who is the definition of that. And Mike McDaniel seems like a completely, like, almost like a Saturday Night Live character of a football coach. And yet, it's obviously become very successful. What, what's it like covering him uh, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, he is by far the most unique coach. And, you know, I wrote a story um, about two weeks ago, and I called him the most unique leader in, in football right now. Um, first off, the appearance. He doesn't look like a coach um you know, he's just 40 years old so he's still young but you know that's kind of been the in vogue um trend of hiring young coaches but he looks younger i mean he, he looks younger um than he actually is he acts younger than he actually is um he has this kind of swagger to him where he's wearing these aviator glasses on the sideline he's wearing these the press conferences he just has a kind of a chic look to him um, he doesn't talk like a coach. He's very um, humorous, very self-deprecating. Um, you know, he always finds a way to like weave in a little one-liner into his answers. Um, so he just creates like an atmosphere. Like he's created an atmosphere in, in the locker room, around the facility, in the press conference rooms. Because keep in mind, um, his predecessor was Brian Flores. He came from the Belichick tree. Right. Um, they could not be any more different. Like. Flores, I, I covered his final season uh, in 2021. He was stern. He was rough, um, you know, talked low, 
Um, so they just couldn't be any more any more different. Um, and, and, and it's fun. I mean, honestly, like obviously, you know, we're here, here to do a job. You know, we're 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 unbiased and whatnot. But it does kind of like make the job a little more fun on a day to day basis. Um, when you have a guy like that, and it's really trickled down um, through through the entire organization, honestly. Well, and so that's what's so interesting about it, because, like, I'm never going to compare sports to the military, right? But football, over the years, there's certainly a lot of connections in terms of just how it is perceived. Um, and and the, the, the coaches, like, you're kind of the drill sergeant. You kind of have to – they say jump, you say how high, like, that type right. of deal there's also like the the no guaranteed contracts that you kind of you know it's like it's like the voluntary workouts the voluntary workouts at least up here everybody shows up for because what are you going to do so Mm -hmm. we wonder how does a guy like that maintain respect from everybody how do they believe i gotta listen to this guy he's like you know he seems more like one of us and yet it seems like it is working how do you sense that that respect is there that they will like and he says hey we got to do this that they do it they don't view it as like a silly thing because this guy is a bit of a goofball and in, in a fun way yeah so i think it it boils down to um just something very fundamental that mcdaniel has emphasized from the moment of the internet press conference um he is there to bring the best out of his players and get them to play to the, to the top of their potential. He talked about when he first entered um, the NFL and he was like a, like a, you know, lowest level entry level assistant with uh, the Houston Texans. And he was with Andre Johnson, you know, wide receiver, you know, uh, you know, Hall of Fame wide receiver, you know, tight wide receiver for the Texans. And he was like, I was just a no name entry level assistant that went to Yale and barely played. And it's like, what do I know? And it's like, Mike McDaniel was talking about how he had to, um, show how he was uh how he was valuable um he, he his knowledge um and, and his intellect was worth something that could help andre johnson um be better than he already was um and at the core that's always that that's always what he says he's there to do now how he goes about it i see is creating and fostering genuine relationships where he is authentic he's himself and that uh, in turn, allows people to be their most authentic self. And he believes that if you are your most authentic self and you feel comfortable being yourself, you're going to be confident and you are going to play at your at your at your best potential. And I think that um, the most you know telling example of that is with Tua Tagovailoa, who prior to the 2022 season when McDaniel got there was very viewed was very much viewed as a player at a crossroads. Um, you know, there were a lot of people who were kind of out on him, didn't think that he was a viable starting quarterback. And McDaniel comes in, and there's so many stories about the various things he did. But one of the most um, you know b- biggest things that he did to me was he created like this hundred page, several hundred page um, kind of video clip up of all of Tua's best throws, and he you know didn't show him shouldn't show him every single throw, but he said, like, this is what you can do um, if you're consistent and we really, like, hone in on what you do well. He showed it to the entirety of the of the, of the staff and the organization, um, and he allowed Tua to lead in his uh, authentic self. Now, when Brian Flores was there, he wanted Tua to lead a certain way. He wanted him to, to speak a certain way, to do things a certain way, and Tua just wasn't comfortable with that for several reasons. Uh, but when Mike McDaniel comes in, he says, I want you to lead how you lead. I want you to be who you are. Um, so we're not only seeing that in the play of Tua Tagovailoa, but we're seeing it in the way that he interacts with 
with, with the media and, and the way he just talks and um, there's just kind of a, a freeness to him now. Now, I think that the person that we're seeing in, in the press conferences, when he's joking around and he's jovial, that's the person that he's usually he usually gets behind closed doors. Um, but McDaniel has allowed him to be free and feel comfortable in being himself. And in turn, he's loose on the field. And we obviously see he's playing the best ball of his career. I mean, that's such an interesting dynamic because the idea of allowing a person to be who they are, but enhancing what makes them them, essentially, as opposed to saying, no, 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 we're going to make you a, ro- a robot kind of a degree. Like we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make you, we're going to mold you in the way that we need you need to be molded and I think that's something that coaches of yesteryear could could get away with and I and I and I do wonder if in this era of uh of athletes if that's as conceivable if you know whether it's social media or just you know you 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 and I are slightly different generations so however you know people you're you know you're in your 20s um it's a different it's just different i mean that this is how it works in life we we all are have different we grow up in different eras different re, you know scenarios and you know the younger generation is able to express themselves in ways publicly especially athletes and, and popular figures in ways that couldn't be done otherwise and when you have somebody saying no 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 you need to be doing this i don't know that that's going to work it might for some for some for some players but not not for all and that, and that's what i find interesting as we're relating it back to to washington I think we all kind of sense that there's going to be a coaching search here. And I know there's been Bill Belichick rumors. I don't really buy any of that for a variety of reasons, but obviously that's one side of the equation. And even if it's not a Belichick person or a Belichick disciple, there are other people. You mentioned Brian Flores. I'm not saying I've heard him coming here, but there are other coaches in the league who would have that. No, no, no. You're doing it this way kind of mindset, but it does feel like, wait, there is this other path to go. And um, that's why I'm curious to see, what's going what they're going to do so i guess i would sort of ask you do you kind of have to be more of a mike mcdaniel's personality do you think in 2023 24 to connect to these players is that the way like if josh harris said hey daniel what do you think we should be doing at coach is that something you would say hey you got to look towards sort of this new modern type of personality as a coach yeah it's such an interesting discussion because i remember when um, the Dolphins played the Steelers last year, and Brian Flores at the time was an assistant with Pittsburgh. I went around and I talked to some guys in the locker room, and I'm like, how? But really, like at the core, what is the difference between, um, you know, Mike McDaniel and Brian Flores? And obviously, you know, there's a lot of legal stuff going on. I think that players kind of wanted to, you know, stay out of that and distance themselves from it. Um, but, but they said that it's, it's just two different styles, and it's not necessarily that one is is better than the other because I mean keep in mind I mean um Flores after you know the 2019 season you know he he had a winning record and he 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 had um them in playoff contention for two straight years so it's like it's not like you know for whatever you want to say about Brian Flores the team was still winning uh, a lot of games um but and I don't think you need to have somebody of the same exact like disposition and temperament of Mike McDaniel but when I go back to talking about you know creating the genuine relationships and making guys feel comfortable um you know I think that that has to be at the core of whoever you bring in like there's there's so many different um different types of quarterbacks and I'm assuming different types of head coaches and styles out there I mean you have um, you know, you have a Mike McDaniel, you have a Sean McVay, you have a Dan Campbell. And I think all like all three of those coaches are three different kind of temperament and styles of coaches. But I think that everyone would agree 
that they have an ability to connect on an emotional level with their players, make them feel comfortable, and bring the best out of them. And I think that that's what you need. You need a top-down uh, approach with your staff and a concise vision for the team. And, um, uh, you know, as, as good as Mike McDaniel has been um, in relating to the players and, and getting along with them, he also has a clear vision and a staff um, that is aligned. I mean, there are times where, um, you know, you hear his uh, offensive line coach speak and answer a question, and it's literally verbatim what Mike McDaniel said. And I almost wonder, like, was he prepped to say that? Because they're just so, uh, they're so, like, like joined together, um, and they're so aligned in their thinking, the way they go about things. Um, so you don't need a guy, you don't need, you know, to, so you don't need to find, you know, a car, a carbon copy uh, of Mike McDaniel and bring that guy in. Like, but you need somebody who can relate, who can empathize, and uh, you know, connect with guys emotionally and make them feel comfortable, and has a clear line of vision in terms of what he wants to do uh, with the team. And it's funny because you see what's going on with the Raiders, and. Th- Josh McDaniels there's one letter difference in their last name and miles difference clearly with how they relate to the players um you know I know people here have been saying hey why don't you just fire Ron Rivera give Eric Bieniemy the interim job look what's happened with the Raiders maybe that could happen here and my view is like independent of Bieniemy or Washington those players clearly hated Josh McDaniels that's not the issue here with Rivera um they're just not winning games um and like you said, the ability to connect, like, I think it seems like a lot of the Patriot, the, the Bill Belichick disciples, it's like they're play acting almost like they try to like take it to the extreme, but they don't have the one. I don't think you can, you, like you said, you have to find a way to connect regardless. This isn't just simply a dictatorship. Um, And then two, they're not Bill Belichick. I mean, you know, I asked a player uh, about that uh, and, and he goes, I just think things were different in Foxborough. <laughs> like, you know, and everybody can be Bill Belichick. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, t- tell me this also. So McDaniel is the head coach. W- what's his connection with the front office? Chris Greer is the GM. Chris Greer was there right before McDaniel. So did he hire McDaniel or was that more of an ownership thing? Or is it more like a they on the same level? Like, how does that connection work? Because again, it looks like here there will be a new coach and a new GM. And we're trying to figure out how the how that hierarchy is going to go. Yeah, Chris Greer definitely had had a role in bringing in Mike McDaniel as well as uh, owner Stephen Ross. You know, when they fired Brian Flores, that was one of the things that uh, we were kind of wondering, you know, why is Brian Flores getting the boot and Chris Greer, who has you know, been with the organization to, in some capacity for, you know, about two decades. Um, but, you know, Stephen Ross said that he thought that Chris Greer had done well and, you know, acquiring draft capital, bringing in your players. So he got to stay and he obviously had a role in that. Um, it's, it's been interesting um, because there were a lot of reports and talk about the dynamic between Chris Greer and Brian Flores and how it how it soured. And, and I remember asking Mike McDaniel, like, what will your role be in decision making and player acquisition and, you know, just the roster construction? And in true Mike McDaniel fashion, I think I think my question verbatim was, how much say will you have? And he goes, well, as much as I want to talk, I guess. Um, so he kind of deflected there. But um, I, I think they have a really strong working relationship. And it's funny because um, their personalities are, are a lot different, too, where, uh, where uh, Chris Greer is more subdued and Mike McDaniel was a lot more talkative and kind of vibrant in his personality. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they, they bounce ideas off of each other. I think that uh, I think that Mike McDaniel definitely allows Chris Greer to, to take the, the lead with that. 
and then uh, you know if he has any input, he'll he'll mention that as well. Um, but I, it it, it comes off to me as a very strong working relationship where they both respect each other's opinions and they work in collaboration. But I think he definitely allows Chris Beard uh, to take the the lead uh, with that. But you know I think that you know at times you know it it reverses. So like last or it's two years ago when he first came in, um, it, it seems like the the overarching premise or idea was that they need to provide more offensive linemen to Tua and Mike McDaniel was very um, adamant that no, they need to provide more pass catchers who could separate, um, which is you know why they brought in Cedric Wilson and then obviously when the opportunity to bring in Tyree Kill came about, uh, they jumped on that as well. So it is a very strong uh, working relationship between those two. And obviously they drafted Jalen Waddle in the first round, so that's a lot of investment. Um, in that position. And I, I've stated, like, I'm not one who's like big in the receiver investment. Sure. Have like a top guy. And I'm not even saying don't maybe have a second one, but like, that's not like how I would view building a team, but that's what makes Miami so fascinating is that they <laughs> now screw it. We're going to go all in with this and do it with the speed pers perspective. And that's what I think has everybody in a tizzy about what is what what they're doing and personally i am petrified for washington's defense considering they've been giving up one explosive play after another they made tommy devito in his second start look like you know uh eli manning and now here comes miami's offense so it's gonna and not to mention it's ron rivera's first game calling plays since 2019 so uh it's fascinating to see these dynamics play um one last thing before i get back to the game um in the coaching search, you know, there's there's no public lists yet. We don't quite know who their candidates are, but we can all sort of guess. You sort of look at like who are the hot offensive coordinators, right? Or or, or defensive coordinators, but you know, offense is more fun. So Ben Johnson from the Lions is a name that gets mentioned all the time. Things like that. Well, I would think you know the offensive coordinator for like the best, the most fun offense in the league is going to get some attention frank smith has sort of a common name but he's the dolphins oc and again typically that guy is going to get some look i don't know much about his background other than i see he was an offensive line coach at butler i didn't even know butler had a football team yeah uh, he has a strong relationship with brad stevens dating back to the time there he's a yeah he's okay. a very interesting he has a very interesting background i mean he's been he's been in the game for a long time um, you know, he has roots with uh with with Sean Payton, I believe John Gruden. Um, you know, I, I think he was uh Ben Roethlisberger center, if I have it correctly. And I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure um there is that. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been he's been well versed. I mean, he's worked with offensive line, he's worked with tight ends. Now he's the offensive coordinator. Obviously, he hasn't called plays, uh, but he's played a really instrumental role in uh in in game planning with Mike McDaniel, drawing up plays and just kind of different motions and, and whatnot. Um, you know, he's he's a really strong teacher from what um I I've gleaned from some players. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when you do have the top offense in the league, one of the top offenses in the league, just naturally, um, you know, people are gonna start kind of. To, to to pick off your tree and I think that he's definitely a guy that will get some looks maybe if um if, if not just for head coaching opportunities but just for offensive coordinator positions where he can actually uh, be a play caller um but yeah I mean I, he, he's a very smart guy um you know I always ask him like philosophical football questions every week um because he just has so much I know he was very instrumental in developing Darren Waller back when he was with the Raiders um so he, he's very well versed um I think that the one question you, you have is you know you're, you're bringing you're not bringing in you know the the head man you're bringing in maybe he's lieutenant and there are questions there um but I think he also has that same temperament you know like I talked about the the coaching staff in Miami being like so intertwined and so linked he has that same temperament um and kind of disposition as Mike McDaniel in terms of how he works with guys and relates to guys um and I think 
that he'd be a, he'd be a strong candidate for sure. I'm curious what you think about it from a philosophical standpoint. You mentioned this stuff. He's not calling the plays. I get very nervous about taking the coordinator from a team that is on the same side of the ball as the head coach. I think for me, it's one of the questions with Eric Bieniemy before he got here and given the chance. But like, how do you know what what where's the line between the, the head coach, like Andy Reid, is calling the plays there? So the offensive coordinator, if you're not calling the plays in a real way, then like what? Like sort of say, are you, are you just a lieutenant? Or are you how integral uh, are you? It just philosophically, what do you think of like that angle? Because I think this is going to come up for Washington one way or the other. As they look, you know, the idea of the coordinator on the same side of the ball as the head coach does that bring up questions? It does for me, and I think you kind of just said maybe it does a little bit. Not, not for sure. And I think that that's why the interview process is, is such a such a, a big thing. I mean, keep in mind, Mike McDaniel was a, a one year offensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers when the Dolphins hired him, you know, before he was a run game, you know, coordinator, run game guru. Um, you know, I, I think my, I think Kyle Shanahan really like I, I believe he called the majority of the overwhelming majority of the plays. So nobody like really knew. I mean, and there was a lot of people that were like, is he just kind of an offshoot of the Shanahan tree? Like, does he like does he really have? the same um kind of you know uh you know the chops there um and there's no real real way to know and so you bring the guy in and you talk to him but through that interview process uh mcdaniel had such a clear vision for um what he was going to do with, with tua and how he wanted to build the the team and the coaching staff and whatnot uh, so yeah that's why obviously the organization uh, excuse me the, the interview process is so big for the organization um to make sure that you're not just kind of bringing in a guy who's long for the ride um but can you know uh break off and branch off and and make his own um his own mark and his own uh style yeah and mcdaniel is the perfect person to blow up the point that i was stating because like you said he's with kyle shanahan um you know that whole staff that was with washington in 2013 that's been discussed a million times i'm sick of it you probably maybe are too um but all those guys mcveigh etc were all under the shanahan's and they even when mcveigh was still here under gruden gruden's an offensive guy too so it doesn't always work that way, but that is always at least a question for me. Depend, you know, on the situation. Um, all right, before I let you go, tell tell me and the and the listeners how scared Washington should be about facing Miami. I mean, the spread is like nine and a half. I, I, you know, to a degree, in you know, as the road team is favored, Vegas can only go to a certain point on a lot of these things because you gotta try to make it a 50-50. Uh, you know, they want to money money. Yeah. <laughs> they want to get the money on both sides as possible. Oh. You know, like I said, Washington's been giving up. It's it's one thing to give up long plays if you're covering the guy. They have the, the other teams are having guys spring wide open. That was with Jack Del Rio, who I got. I just got. And granted, he just got fired, but he was at least doing the job. Now Rivera's coming in, hasn't called plays forever. Um, I don't know if Emmanuel Forbes is going to play this week, which he's not had the best of rookie years, but nonetheless, uh, another cornerback. I, I am. <laughs> I just picture guys running wide open all over the place. How you can be honest? How, how scared should should Commanders fans be about this matchup? Yeah, the the current setup is just not one that you know. And I think that even like pre trade deadline, I would say that this was the uh, the Commanders had a setup um, that would maybe allow them to limit the Dolphins because I think that the one thing that has really given them trouble um, is teams that can get after the quarterback with the four-man rush, specifically interior pressure. You know, they've traded Montez Sweat, um, they've traded Chase Young, but they still do have, you know, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, those are interior linemen who, you know, I think they could have some success against an offensive line that is dealing with some injuries and has some in injuries to monitor. 
Um, but you have to have sound play in the secondary. I mean, you can't have coverage busts. You can't have guys, uh, you know, just allowing Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Like, you, you can't make it easy on them. Um, so, yeah, you know, firing, you know, the D.C., firing the defensive backs coach, um, Rod Rivera, you know, calling his calling plays for the first time in a couple of years. It's, it's just not favorable. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if they can't stop the run, um, then that just makes things even harder. Uh, so it's definitely going to be an uphill battle. Uh, I think, you know, the one thing for the Dolphins is that they, they turn the ball a lot, turn the ball over a lot. Know, two or three, two interceptions, just kind of like mind-boggling interceptions that if, you know, it had been any other team than the Jets, maybe like it would have been more consequential, but it wasn't. Um, but he has 10 interceptions. So if, you know, maybe they can get the ball, uh, uh, if they can get the ball out of his hands somehow, whether it's a strip sack or a fumble or an interception, maybe you give your chance, but um, they can just turn things up so quickly. Like we've seen them start slow. And then before you know it, he just throws it up to Tyreek. 50 yards and then they're back in the game or like they kind of break break away so it's it's, it's going to be tough um it's gonna be an uphill battle for sure for, uh, for the commanders um I, and just lastly i think a lot of people following the commanders at this point you probably resigned to the fact that the season is not gonna go it's not gonna end with a playoff berth and everybody's kind of waiting for the offseason but in the min- interim sam howe's development is a big deal in these last six games for washington starting last week may influence how people view Sam Howell at the end of the year. Miami is known for its offense, but the defense has been, I I think, underrated over the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight games, whatever it might be. What's the, what's the thing for Washington fans to pay attention to as it relates to how Sam Howell might look to attack Miami? Yeah. Well, Sam Howell is the most site. Well, you, everyone that is a commander's fan knows he's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL by a wide margin. Um, the Dolphins have the third most sacks in the NFL. Obviously, they just lost uh, their you know breakout ascending pass rusher Jalen Phillips because of a Achilles injury. Um, but they still have a lot of guys. It's not a one man show in terms of that pass rush. Um, so they got to stay out of those obvious you know passing situations where you know Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, he's not going to blitz a ton, um, but he's going to throw some kind of uh, complex looks where he might you know blitz a cornerback and drop a linebacker or something like that. You know they have a couple guys whether it's Christian Wilkins, Bradley Chubb. Zach Sealer that can get to the quarterback. Um, so, you know, they got to run the ball well with Brian Robinson, stay out of those obvious passing situations um, and just give yourself a, a chance. Cause it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, the, over the past month or so, or really since week five, and especially since Jalen Ramsey returned uh, from his meniscus injury in week nine, like they've been one of the best defenses uh, in the NFL because they're just so sound at, at all three levels. Um, so you got to stay out of like those obvious passing situations where, you know, you can kind of put your cornerbacks on the island and let uh, the pass rushers tee off. Well, best of luck to Washington, uh, is all I'll say on that front. Uh, and best of luck to you uh, coming up here this week. You know, dress warmly. Uh, I mean, it's gonna it's all, it's gonna be like fifty on game day or in the fifties, I think, on game day. So at least that's for us. It'll be fine for you. It'll still be cold, but at least it won't be shiver me timber or whatever. Uh, so good luck, good luck with that. Safe travels, and I will see you Sunday. Uh, go follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel O Y E F U S I. Read him in the Miami Herald and uh, I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It might be a cover your eyes game situation for, I hope not. I hope it's entertaining, but we will see about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, this is a Washington commanders podcast. So I guess I should talk about the Washington commanders. Sam Forty from the Washington post is uh, tasked with helping me, do that we we all acknowledge at least here in the room i think many of you do as well that it is not a lot to talk about these days unless we just rehash the sam howe stuff and 
look ahead to what's going to possibly transpire in the offseason. But there are games still to be played and things to be learned from that. Uh, I had a story on this the other day. Sam had a story on this today at the Post. Uh, so, Sam, welcome back. Um, did you just subtly flex that you wrote the same thing that I did just earlier? Uh, sure. I mean, like that's, a, it, that's a tough way to bring on a podcast guest. Is it? I wasn't intentional like that. I just it is where we're at. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, it is like, what do these last five games mean? I think that is the, I mean, I got went on with Kevin Sheehan the other day. He asked me the same thing. I mean, it is, what is it? Um, and you know, like even like Ron's calling the plays now. Okay. I mean, like, I don't think, you know, unless he turns them into the 85 bears in the last five games, I don't know that it matters that much, but that's the question. What matters here at this point? So I turn it to you as we go to the, get ready for the dolphins game this week. What matters? What, what, what do we care about? The the version of this that I wrote, I, I mean, I wrote Sam Howell's growth, which I sure. think we agree on. Sure. Eric Bieniemy's play calling. Sure. Draft position. Got it. Final auditions for the next regime, particularly for impending free agents, probably most notably Cam Curl. Check. And young player development, whether it be guys that they've stashed on the practice squad or rookies who haven't played very much. I mean, when you think hey, what is going to matter for the 2024 Commanders and beyond? Those, I think, are the only five things that you got to be, like, locked in on. I, I think so. All right, I'll give you a different topic. This isn't, like, locked in in terms of the games, but this is sort of a summary of the season. The Pro Bowl voting has now opened. Usually there would be at least some interest, the idea of, like, who's going to make it. I, I, I don't know anybody's going to make it. I mean, obviously, I, it's all—it's all, it's all it's a popularity contest, and you got to look at what else is happening around the league. I—I I, I wouldn't necessarily campaign for anybody. Am I being a jerk, or I, tell me I'm wrong? I can't—I can't say that you're wrong here. The popularity contest point, the NFLPA put out a list of a, I can't remember what they called it. It was something like a hundred hot influencers in training camp or whatever, something embarrassing like that. And they said like, here are the hundred players in the NFL with the most social media clout was basically the, the list, which is an interesting list to like come up with in the first place. But you know, that's neither here nor there. The only commander on the list was Chase Young. And so he is not here anymore. So yeah, I, I think that the, no one has had a performance that has like just blown everybody away and and maybe if they ran the ball more brian robinson would be in that discussion but right they don't so he's not as much but to me like you know players who have average years but like get elevated by their name the commanders don't have anybody in that class either so i mean maybe they have one guy maybe terry makes it or something and because he is probably their best hope to that degree but in terms of pure performance in terms of pure name value no one stands out. All right. I mean, I'm thinking really quickly at quarterback because Sam Howe, statistically, if you just ignore, you know, look at just the numbers, you could make an argument for him. But you got Jalen Hurts, you got Dak Prescott, you got Brock Purdy. That, that's an interesting one, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying if some, you know, if the casual fan says, oh, this guy has this many yards and he leads the league, um, but he doesn't happen. Um, you know, we, we talk so much about coaches and and, and and what's gone wrong. Obviously, Jack Del Rio just got fired. I was trying to think the other day, just in terms of the players, what players, and to the point of like, what are we looking at these last few games, which players have ascended this season? Had, have, have Are ending the season with a higher valuation or eval 
then they started. And I'm sure we can maybe point to some Percy Butler who's like, you know, who maybe has made some growth, but like, you know, he's still sort of a reserve-y kind of type. I think the only player I currently have is Brian Robinson. And that is acknowledging, if we should know, this year he's not coming off being shot. So, like, he could have shown, shown us even some of last year. So he has done better, especially as a pass catcher. I get stuck after that. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, like, crap on the situation. It is sort of, though, about looking forward because it is trying to assess, wait, what is actually here? Not just saying, oh, they have this guy, that guy. No, but what do they actually have? So do you think, is there anybody else that you would say has ascended this year? Well, I want to be very clear up front and say that I think that these are marginal improvements or they play non-premium positions, and so it doesn't matter as much. Not, not that it doesn't matter because obviously you need a full, well-rounded football team, but when I say these, I, I'm, I'm caveating them by saying they're, they're not the biggest deals. But people who I think have ascended, I would say Sam Cosme having yeah. one specific position, Fedarian Mathis for being healthy, even though I think he's, you know, fine, like, yeah. so far. Uh, John Bates, I think, has shown, uh, I, I guess you could probably argue he's about the same, but he, I think he's been just more reliable, particularly because I think Logan Thomas is, has clearly slowed down, and he's probably not going to be here next year just because of his contract situation. Um, and man, I mean, then, you know, you, you get really to player, I mean, John Ridgway, you played more than the Cinco pack. I don't know. Like, but, but the thin list gets even thinner pretty quickly. Um, and so I think your point holds that the only guy who's made, and I, I might put Sam Cosme in the Brian Robinson school just because he has one position. I think he's athletic. He's reliable. Um, if you buy into whatever PFF is selling, they have him graded pretty high among guards. Admittedly, I don't watch all the guards around the league, so to that degree, that that, that, that uh, bolsters your point. But when we're sitting here, you know, in, in late November and talking about, oh, the running back and the right guard have, you know, have taken steps forward, that's not a great place to be as a football team. Right. No, I mean, last year we would have been talking about, I mean, I can't say Jahan Dodson improved, but obviously he had a really good rookie year. Benjamin St. Juiced made strides. Um, forgetting other people, I'm sure. He, he, I would say Benjamin St. Juice has arguably been not the most hurt because I think that some of those veterans probably, you know, are, are you know, stocked down. But man, over the last eight weeks, I think that he is the most targeted corner in the NFL by a significant margin, and he obviously has not played particularly well. Um, he's had moments, but. When the Giants are just sending Jalen Hyatt on a go route on the outside in, in every critical moment against you, I think they had three or four go routes in that game, and then other teams are treating you the same way. I mean, there's times where if you get matched up on DK Metcalf or, or CD Lamb, you go, okay, that you know that that's going to happen. Those guys are really good receivers. Jalen Hyatt is not in that category, and so when they're just relentlessly attacking you, and I, and I think Jalen Hyatt had two, maybe three catches, that's that's a difficult day. For sure, and Dallas seemed to throw it at St. Juice the first three, four, 15 plays. I mean, it was a lot going on early on that one. So all this brings me to this point. Ron Rivera made a comment before the season started, I believe, to John Kime. said said something like, um, look, if this year ends and I'm out of here, but you know the next person takes over and they've got a young quarterback and a better roster than what I found, send me a ring. And at the time he said it, beyond the fact of the send me the ring part, it was like, well, okay, I guess you could argue that the, the roster was better at that point. 
versus when he inherited it. Except now when I look at it side by side, you have the three best players currently on this team he inherited, McLaurin, Payne, and Allen. Forget the fact that they traded away Young and Sweat because they at least got some assets for them, but that aside. The team he inherited had Brandon Scherf, a multi-time Pro Bowl guard. I'll give put Trent Williams in another category because that was kind of a fractured relationship, obviously. I, it is hard to, based on that, and if, and if we sort of say that the free agents are off the table because we just don't know what's going to happen, it's hard for me to say right now that they he they, they do have a better roster than what he inherited. Now, maybe you could say if we, if we rank the players 1 to 53 or whatever, you know, in that regard. But I, I don't know that it is actually better on the top end of things. And I think that is, for me, one of the bigger revelations down the stretch here. That's like, oh, man. Like, the building blocks aspects is not nearly as interesting as I thought it was going to be even, like, a month or two ago. And I think that is going to be something that people are going to open their eyes to and be like, oh, unless these last five games, the St. Juice to the world, Jamie Davis, whoever, do more. Give you reason to think, okay, maybe they had a bad stretch in the middle, but they've, they, they're they good pieces. They can be used. I, this is where I'm starting to wonder about this roster, that it feels almost like it's more of a rebuild than a retooling. The Standing Room Only podcast is a safe space, as I understand it, so I'm, I'm ready to workshop a half-baked take. Go for it. And that is that when Ron Rivera says pretty explicitly he feels like his legacy here is finding a quarterback and changing the culture, and obviously those two things, I, I think that we could talk about that for a while, whether those are two legitimate claims to make, particularly when the quarterback is a fifth-round pick, and we don't know if he's going to be here next year. Um, or we don't know if he's going to be the guy chosen by the next regime. But but let's say that those two things are true. I think that it's possible that the Rivera era in retrospect will be that he raised the floor, but not necessarily the ceiling. And you can point to so many data points where that is true, whether it be the record going 500-ish every year, whether it be the quality of play, whether it be you know being able to push good opponents but not beat them. I think that you know this is not a three-win team that he took over. I, I think he undeniably made the roster better. But did he make it have more potential? Did he raise the ceiling? I think there's a lot of evidence suggesting that the answer is no right now. But I, I do think he unquestionably helped this organization raise its floor both on the field and off the field. Um, and I'm not saying whether that's whether you should be happy about that, whether you should praise that or not. But to me, that feels like the most clear-eyed assessment of this situation right now. Yeah, I mean, look at the receivers back when he took over. You had McLaurin, and then, like, the next guy was, like, Kelvin Harmon, who I like coming out of college, but never really turned into anything. Uh, here, and the secondary was kind of a mess, and both of those units overall are better in talent than they were when he got them. It's just sort of to your point, like, but then what? Like, I think Cam Curl is actually the perfect example of that. I think he raises the floor tremendously, but we just, since his rookie year, haven't seen those splash plays that really, I think, separate a team in, in a league with as much parity as the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, before I let you go, we have we run out to practice. They're going to have a game this weekend. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins. I think Eric Bieniemy just talked about how they're, they've got like a track team out there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 you know... Every time you want to say, oh, they're going to get blown out, then then somebody says, well, this is what they do under Ron. They come back and get a big win. I heard this last week before the Dallas game. I was like, not sure I'm seeing it this time. 
Uh, I'm not sure I'm seeing it this time either. I, I, I don't see how the team that's giving up more explosive pass plays than basically everybody in the league is going to stop the team that gets essentially more explosive pass plays than anybody in the league. Uh, would you like to offer a counter to those fears? No, I, I think you summed it up. Basically, you know, Tyreek Hill versus either Benjamin St. Juice or Kendall Fuller. It's it's a little reductive to distill an NFL matchup down to one one-on-one like that, but when you're talking about a historic offense versus a historic defense, like you said, I think that's that's all that people need to know. I mean, Tommy DeVito had open receivers all over the place, and neither he nor the Giants receivers are Tua and Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, etc. So I, I think, and Eric Bieniemy alluded to this, right? Ron is going to pare down the defense, going to make it simpler. So hopefully that there, are, you know, he hopes there are fewer miscommunications in the back end that led to Brandon Cooks being wide open and led to some of the other explosive plays for the Giants. Like, I think that those explosive plays where guys are not covered seem to be, to me, byproducts of that match zone, kind of complicated passing guys off scheme. And if Ron strips that away and goes back to spot drop coverage and, hey, keep everything in front of you and, you know, cover four is cover four and blah, 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 like maybe they keep him in front of them, but then you're also giving more cushion to guys who don't need a lot of it to get away um last thing so uh, this has been a relatively sobering conversation uh not 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 a lot of positives to for anybody hang their hat on what what is something for you that over these last five games you know you want to see you hope to see you think you will see in the nature of a player maybe should or will get a shot to do more than we've seen them so far, or you think, or there's somebody who you're excited to see how they finish the year because there's been some very some things that you've liked so far. Is there anybody uh, in of that ilk in that scenario? And I'm keep talking to give you more chance to to think. Is there anybody else that that you've got that that that, that uh, fills that bill? If Emmanuel Forbes can come back from what Ron called a pretty serious elbow injury, I think the end of the year is actually critical to him because he had such a tough start to the year. He gets injured in the middle. He gets benched. You know, like, I think this is, if it ended today, I think this is a pretty disastrous rookie year for a first-round pick. Worse than Jamin Davis. You know, this this is, I think, almost as bad as it could go. Um, but if he can come back, and just show growth. I'm not even saying play well. Just show growth, stronger technique, better eye discipline. I think that would mean a lot to him. And I think it would mean a lot to the fan base's confidence in him, the coach's confidence in him. And it would it would be a big boost for the next regime coming in to have some quality tape for a guy and say, hey, this guy can lock back in. If injury prevents him from getting back on the field or if he goes back on the field and, and gets A.J. Brown again, like then, then I think that you know there's serious questions about like can this dude do it in the league? Um, he would be now, and then and then I think in like descending order, maybe Quan Martin or some of the guys they've had on the inactives every week, Curtis Hodges, Mason Brooks, blah blah blah. But like to me, Emmanuel Forbes should be an important part of this team going forward, particularly as a first round pick. And I'm curious if he can wipe away some disappointment from the early year. Uh, Mason Brooks got a lot of attention today in the media room. Well, and uh, I think I think that he's like just the example of a guy who what what, he, what is he? What is he? And he got the most money of their UDFA class, one of the most like highest signing bonuses in all of all UD, UDFA's coming yeah. out of college. Like clearly they wanted him here. Is is he going to be anything? I don't know. Well, I mean he he's an undrafted free agent. The guy who he hypothetically would replace was a seventh round pick. I mean it's not that like the gap between him and Chris Paul, who's been. 
a work in progress. Yeah, sure. Well, why, why, why not him? Uh, great job as always at Sam for TR on Twitter. Do you have or X? Do you uh, have other social media accounts you want to pimp at this point? Considering everybody seems to be potentially bailing on uh, Elon's world. I I don't use any other social media platform. I'm off the gram. Facebook is dead. Oh, you're dead for the Instagram, even for like the, the your personal life. Yeah, I mean, I don't really use the gram like that. Um, I'm not on the talk. I let my my younger sister do that. Uh, I've I've tried Blue Sky. I've tried Threads. Not super impressed. I'm on Laps. I I, I oh, tried Laps. I never even heard that one. Yeah, my my sister who's like 23, 24. She's big into it. It's basically like Snapchat crossed with Be Real. Do you know Be Real? I've seen that one. Yeah, where you have to like right now, like the we get a, a notification, we have to stop whatever we're doing and like take a picture. Yeah. yeah. So so lapse is is kind of like that. Um, it makes you invite a bunch of friends though, which is incredibly embarrassing, and I'm not trying to do that. Um, so but anyway, yeah, the people people can find me in the Washington Post uh, in the print newspaper, which is you know a great place to direct people. Not not at all a sign of uh, being a dinosaur. No, I, I get the paper delivered to my house every day or whenever the delivery person sent, drops it off. Um, Sam, appreciate it. Uh, talk soon. Cool. I can buy it like in five minutes. <laughs> All right. Many thanks to Daniel for his time. Sam 48 as well. It for now. Ben Standing signing off. Until next time. See ya. fans this is diana rossini from the athletic get the top stories and pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest nfl newsletter scoop city jacob robinson and i will bring you the daily scoop of top nfl articles posts and podcasts every monday to friday sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop